Hello, everybody, and welcome to another off-season Winging It Formula One podcast with me, Freddie Coates, and I'm joined by Adam Dickinson and Nigel Chu. We're going to have a Q&A today where we put out a tweet the other day getting some questions from listeners and people who saw us on Twitter to, where we're going to just talk about random things. But we're going to start with a bit of F1 news first. Um, we're going to talk first about the news that the new calendar has been confirmed again what do you guys think of that we've lost australia to november and we've basically lost china and all just lost china yeah i'm fine freddy uh sorry to answer your question uh i don't care <laughs> the viewers do though i'm sure they're listening i'm to sure it. i've done that to nigel before <laughs> i don't recall that our mental health uh, podcast last week we don't need to talk about it again that's a good point uh, that's not that's not a good point. That's a terrible point. <laughs> well, <laughs> calendar, yes. Uh, calendar. I think it's good just to have races. To be honest, I think it was unrealistic to you know think Australia was even going to happen. Same with China because they're both being very strict, rightly so, uh, with with international sports. Uh, so Imola. Number 60, the three-week gap after the first race. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that, to be honest. As long as there's a race, you know, in April, March, I'm fine. I'm not complaining where it is or, or when it is or, or, or anything. Um, I, I don't know. I think I might take a bit of a different view, might I? I feel... Everyone else is. I, I guess I kind of psych myself up for things to kind of be back to normal. I think last season it was kind of a case of, oh, there's racing on. Oh, that's good. Is it a good race? Uh, does it really matter? You know, is it a good track? Uh, does it really matter? Um, I think I'd kind of gone into this season hoping it might be a bit more normal and that we might have a normal calendar. But, you know, it is it is what it is. And, you know, as I think we probably do need to get into it, and the mindset that Nigel said is, you know, just... There is racing on, and Bahrain, you know, for all its human rights record badness, then you know is a good circuit. It should produce some decent racing, and yeah, Imola. I'm sure Freddie is very happy about that. And Australia at the end of the year, I think we'll talk about it later. But you know, having Australia in November will be an interesting change if, or not change. Big if, I'd still say. I I, I, I would be from, surprised if Australia happens personally. From the COVID perspective, it seems I'm happy for the start of the season to be pushed back by two weeks to where Bahrain was originally scheduled anyway that's moved testing back about what three weeks so that's pretty good from the perspective of they've got new strains running riot in Europe and stuff like that so from the COVID perspective like I've just said it seems better that we've got a kind of staggered start to the season with Bahrain a country we've been to we've been we've been to Formula One has been to um, for two races and worked there basically formula one was able to go to bahrain with the COVID protocol it's a practiced and perfected situation for them so they're going to somewhere they know and they've got a system they know and then they've got a long time to get to imola another track they've been to and with COVID protocol so i think from with a big gap like you say a three-week gap so there is time for it all to to restart again and it's not that um obviously the end of the season is going to be three triple headers flying around the world, which is definitely what you were talking about, Nigel, with the optimism. Um, it seems to be a bit of a push, and I wouldn't be su- surprised if there's further revisions there. 
because yeah. I don't I wouldn't feel comfortable if I were in a team going around like that. At least I wouldn't feel comfortable with it now, um, being booked for then. But then again, it's ten months down the line, so who knows? But I'd say I'm happy happy with a with a more um, with a less show offy start to the season than there would be with travel with circus the circus going to Australia, which is miles away from where everyone's based. It was a bit like going back to when I and we started watching kind of the first what four three races kind of all spread out you know that was kind of how it was and I think Bahrain Imola probably pulled him out after that will it will be quite an interesting start I think maybe more interesting than Albert Park Sakir and then China so I think you know it will be quite interesting from a fan's perspective to you know see how those races play out what is it about Imola, Adam, because we know you don't like it. What is it about Imola that you don't like? In fact, a lot of fans seem to turn on it after the last race. I mean, I think I think the mindset of a lot of fans was like, oh, you know, it's nice to go there kind of for nostalgia, but there's only so much nostalgia value you can have that will set against poor racing and I think maybe one race has reached that limit for me anyway. Yeah, it's not it's not the worst track on the calendar, but it's just, you know, kind of if we're talking about tracks that have hosted Grand Prix, you know, and then have stopped hosting Grand Prix coming back onto the calendar, it'd be quite a long way down my list, I think. I like it. I think it's different. It's old school. Yes, it it's is. It's the Monaco hard to debate, take. isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to overtake, but I think it's very different to the tilker tracks that we normally get on the calendar. And I think the calendar needs variety. I don't even think the race last year in was that bad. We had a battle for the lead in the first 25 laps. Uh, it was ruined by a VSC, frankly. Yeah. And, and Bottas getting did, damaged. Was that the yeah. one where, and Bottas where getting the... damaged is what made the race? Because that's what that kept the where... behind and kept the snapping close. Bottas got damaged on lap two. He was. But there could Hamilton have been a, battle, a, pause. a proper battle for the lead if Bottas yeah. hadn't got damaged. And there, how many? No, race... no, there wouldn't have been because Hamilton would, be, would have been stuck right. behind Verstappen. Been... Yeah, but he's on a different strategy. Yeah. Hamilton, Hamilton was behind Verstappen and was faster than Verstappen, but Verstappen was able to keep up with Bottas because of Bottas' damage, which then. When Hamilton went off to go and do his different strategy, Verstappen was able to keep with Bottas because of Bottas's damage. Without that, then it would have been a Mercedes 1-2 to the flag. Yes, but the Mercedes might have battled each other. Yeah, no one complains about 2014 Bahrain because it was a Mercedes 1-2. And and I would say, how did races last year we have a lead battle? That was what, Mm. that's what made me think, you know, last year wasn't, as good as 2019, for example. But I'm, Imola was one of those races, at least with the first 25 laps. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, I, 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 I'm quite happy If Hamilton hadn't been able to take the lead under the VSC, Verstappen would, would have been leading that race for uh, with 10 laps to go. And then he got his puncture. So then it would have been considered kind of a crazy race, I'd say. Yeah. If Verstappen had got his puncture in the lead... I'd say. Anyway, but, but yeah, but Adam's point <laughs> still stands. The race was made be, by yeah. the race was made by the lead car not being able to go at its full speed, and I think there's more of a risk if there wasn't damage to Bottas that it would have been a walkover from Mercedes than the, the the race that it was with Verstappen being able to challenge. In my opinion, mm. 
Does that stand, do you think? Because, yeah, you well, could have had the Mercedes fighting, but you could have had that at any track, and a lot of the time you didn't. I don't think you could. Well, because there weren't many tracks that Bottas took pole and or led from the first lap. So I think that's the that's the ingredient you need to have a Mercedes battle for the lead, is you need Bottas to be in front and Hamilton chasing after him, and that only happened at a few tracks. And when it happened at Russia, Hamilton was at the back of the grid, so we couldn't do anything. So, yeah, but, you know, I think that's kind of more circumstance than the track. I think with me, it's not, it's less a kind of active dislike for it, but it's just a bit like, you know, I don't really like it enough to think that we should be bringing it back. And I do like it. I think, yeah, for me, I'm swayed by the way that a car going around Imola on its own, I find exciting. Um, Mm. Whereas like a car going around, Oh, it's obviously a stupid example, but it's the only one that can come to mind. Sochi is just boring to watch. Like a car going around Imola is not at all boring to watch. It's similar to Mugello for me. And yeah. I kind of think out of all the tracks last year to come back, if there was one to fill this gap, I would have preferred it to be Mugello because um, I thought that suited a modern race a bit better. But if Imola's here with um, intentions to stay on longer, I would be interested in 2022. It's just, it's, 2020 it's just we've got these these big bulky cars at the moment i'll be more interested yeah. with cars designed to race yeah i think oh, go on, no, no. i was just gonna say it wouldn't be a surprise <laughs> it wouldn't be a surprise if uh, some of the replacement races from last year came in this year there was you know monaco canada azerbaijan they're all like right now they're all up in the air but obviously things could and hopefully will get better i think I do think having Imola in the second race of the season will, just in kind of there's more optimism there, it feels more wide open even if it isn't. So I think that will kind of be be something. And if you do get a surprise result, it's not like it happens at Abu Dhabi where it's like, oh, the championship was decided like 10 races ago or whatever. So it will be, I think that kind of will help it ingratiate itself. Yeah, it's... It's something that it gets a second chance, really, which I think, like you say, Nigel, a lot of people did turn on it. So, it, it a second people chance is short isn't minds, short term minds. That's the problem these days. If it's Sorry. not fucking <laughs> 2019, if, if people had that short term minds, then they wouldn't have wanted it back in the first place. Well, that's hmm. they would have wanted a good point. Maybe because people just jumped on the band, band, uh, bandwagon instead at the time. It happens in F1, especially. Anyway, there's another good bit of news. I say good bit of news. It's not that good for some people, but um, Renault team boss has is not Cyril Abitbol is not going to be the Alpine team boss. Um, he has left the Alpine team as it's just become Alpine and is looking to be replaced by Davide Brivio, who is the now ex team principal of Suzuki MotoGP team. Suzuki obviously just won. Uh, the MotoGP Riders Championship with Johan Mir in 2020. I don't know if they won the team's championship. I think they did, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So pretty good figure to be snatched out of MotoGP for Formula One. It's all but confirmed that he will be at Alpine. Uh, Nigel, do you have any words to say about Cyril Beeple's departure and Brevio's entrance? Yeah, I'm very surprised at the departure because Abitbol was literally just announced as, I think, the CEO or some kind of position a couple of weeks ago. So 
now now it's suddenly changed. We're not entirely sure why. So it is a it's a shock, really. Uh, something must have happened. Uh, but yeah, at the end of last week, I kind of saw something about it, and then it was announced earlier this week. And uh, yeah, there was big changes. But with Brivio, from what I've heard and read, he's a great character, a great man. Man, is it man manager that people call it? Yeah, man, man, he's a good man manager. That makes sense. People person. Uh, yeah, well, whatever that does. Uh, so, yeah, there's lots of changes at Renault, and it'll be interesting to see how it affects the team's dynamic, I guess, and whether bringing in these new people, whether that will push them forward up the grid for next year and stuff like that. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, what do you call it? Good move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Freddie's clearly very happy about it. I don't know why, but yeah, it's good news unless you missed a repeatable. Um, yeah, I, I think instability probably isn't something Alpine could have done with right now, mm. considering they've come off a pretty good season and then, you know, going into a new. That's a good guys, point. I think having, having, a repeatable around would have been good, but equally, I think especially when man-manager type uh, you know managers that's not a good sentence but in any sport you know when so kind of some someone comes in at the top who is a man-manager I think you you tend to get a upturn in results in the short term it's mm-hmm. kind of whether how he's able to handle long handle the long term I guess strategy of the team um, yeah. to kind of create kind of a meaningful move forward but you know I don't know enough about him I don't watch MotoGP I don't know anything about MotoGP when we talked about it last time I called them drivers rather than riders <laughs> so yeah you know it's everyone it's that's fine yeah it's a shame I think it would have been good to see Cyril gloating about Honda I think that would have been very funny to see but alas we will not see it so yeah I think it's a bit shame for Cyril because like you say about the instability and building a team around it and that kind of thing um, Renault have had a few changes right at the top, but they've always they've been for the past few years have been bringing people in who have been sticking around. Like they brought in Martin Budkowski as um, who stayed in a technical position, and they um, brought in Pat Fry last year, who I believe is still there. So they've got a good little team there, who are still sticking with the team, still staying at Endstone and moving through to a, just a new manager on on top of it all. And I think it's a bit. I think with Brevio coming in, it's going to be similar to Seidel coming into McLaren where it just offers an entirely different mindset for the team because we do have Fernando Alonso joining that team. So it could well be a little bit um, fractious, to say the least. A beatball is apparently a bit of a um, tantrum-prone manager. Um, so with someone who might be a bit more uh, sensible, let's say, um, in Brevio, then it could well keep, keep the calm for Renault a lot better and allow them to get results a lot easier. They obviously have lost Ricardo, but they've got Alonso. So they've got a driver who can hustle the car to a result. It's whether they can keep the calm in the team to bring the car up to scratch so they can fight for third convincingly rather than snatch at the heels of it, I'd say. Yeah, the last point I'll make on this is uh, if you're going to make changes within the management of the team, I think now is the best time before the new regulations next year, I would say. So I think the timing of it is is the right thing to do. 
so yeah that's it for some recent news there'll probably be a bit more news to come in the coming days probably with lewis hamilton signing something mm. but who knows um we're not going to get into exclusive. that is it an exclusive no um, everyone's been saying it for two months but anyway we're going to go on to our first question da, 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 da. and question one of the winging it q a who's gonna get the first question <laughs> goes to Audrin Delanti. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, Audrin asks, with the Australian Grand Prix moved to near to the end of the season, should it stay there permanently or keep it as the first race of the season? I like it as the any... first race of the season. Oh, sorry, Freddie. Yeah. Okay, I like it as the first race. Yeah, the first, because there's lots of atmosphere. It's... I think it's, it's the best place to have a season opener, especially because you have to fly so far and stuff, so then the teams can do it whenever they want, really, because they've got two or three weeks after pre-season testing. So I think Australia, it's not the best track, is Melbourne, but I think where it is in the calendar as the first race, yeah, I, I, I would have it there if I could choose. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of the easiest one. I think it's better as a first race than... Bahrain or China, which I guess would be the kind of alternatives. Um, so if you're not having it and you don't want either of those, you've got to kind of then take bits off the rest of the calendar, which, you know, might be interesting. I don't know, Suzuka to start with or something, but that's kind of then changing, you know, that has knock-on effects on other races. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Bahrain goes, though, this season, because I guess we're all used to Australia and yeah, I do like it as a track and I do like it as a season opener, but, you know, personally, it's all kind of I've known. It's nearly always been the opening race while I've been mm. watching. So I think I will be interested to see how Bahrain does. And after that, then I might have a different opinion, but we'll have to see. And there's only a couple of times that I can remember Bahrain being the opener. That was, I think, 2006 and 2010. Oh, the um, 2010. Oh, yeah, so it was, Austria, Austria opened the season. Oh, well. oh, and yeah, and Austria, this one. Um, it was very good, actually, but it probably it was wouldn't. right, yeah, once they all started to, to have their failures. I think, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Australia feels like a really cool country to start at, and it really feels, uh, for us at least, it's definitely got that big atmosphere of Formula One's back, and it's everyone's loving it. It feels a bit flat if you go to Bahrain, which is a race that's got about two fans anyway went at the race whereas you go to you go to australia and you've got a city full of people all falling onto the race to start the race and you've got a it, there's something about the first race waking up at six in the morning to watch it and so that, that is kind of nostalgic for me i mean I, I know that some people some older listeners will say that it's nostalgic having australia as the finale as it was with adelaide before it moved to melbourne in 1996 when it was in the end of the season then, they'd have the, the Japan Suzuka to Adelaide sort of fly out for the teams. And then they'd finish the finish the season in Australia, which is also a cool place to finish the season. But I think just the Melbourne track isn't quite suited to it in the same way with Abu Dhabi. They're both suited for the atmosphere and less so much for the racing. And I think if you're going to have a finale track, I'd rather have it as a racing track, like a Brazil or, or a Cota. Yeah. Than any, the, it's not an Abu Dhabi question, but yeah, it, it comes into Melbourne because it's it's a harder track to race at as well. So that's where I, I sit with that. I think that would be my big 
calendar changes putting Brazil at the end because it just is such a good place for a season finale. Um, but yeah, and Australia is a real Formula One country. It's had world champions. It's had race multiple race winners in the last 10 years. You know, is a kind of genuine F1 country to start off yeah. the season at. And I think, you know, a bit like I was saying for Imola earlier, maybe the optimism and build up to it is sometimes better than the race. So I think that's <laughs> it being at the start of the season. Although we have had good Austra- Australian Grand Prix, let's not forget. That's true. Yeah. We should do that as you... a podcast episode, a calendar, a dream calendar. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys? Oh, I was going to ask something. I'm credit service to that, but what do you guys think about? You mentioned Brazil. That used to be back in the day, the season opener, up until I don't know years until Melbourne. Um, it was always into Lagos or um, Rio that was the uh, start of the Formula One season. I think that would be an interesting one to have as the start rather than the finale. No, it's wasted at the start. I think. You I think Brazil is such a good race on its own that it doesn't need the extra build up for the start of the season. I think yeah. at the end because, you know, you'll get nine times out of ten, you'll get a good, you know, season finale. Even if there's not a championship on the line, you'll still get a good race. That's a good call. Yeah, I'd agree. I'll, I'll agree with that. Start with Australia, end with Brazil. Don't have Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Do we want to move on to another question or does anyone have anything else to add on Audrin's inputs? Uh. No, yeah, I think we need to move on. We've got ten more, haven't we? So yeah, we've got quite a few Boiler. actual you, fans for one. Question. A very good question, so yeah. topical. Okay, I'll move on. So William Holmes asked, "I feel like I may know them already, but your favourite championship outside of the F1, two or three bubble?" So well, if he already if he already knows, we don't have to answer it. So uh, no, Angel. <laughs> for me, it's probably oh. Probably, see for me, it just changes every week. I probably have to say World Rallycross Championship, but sometimes it's Saul Marie, sometimes it's F1, <laughs> sometimes it's F2. Yeah. But if I, if I had to say, I'd say what World RX would be. Yeah, for yeah. me, it's Formula E. I've got a kind of I really a little relationship with Formula E over the past few years. Um, cheeky text and all that, no, not that kind of thing, but um, just I just really enjoy watching Formula E. I always get really excited for it. And I quite like the the modesty of it. It's quite humble as a series. I don't know why, if that makes sense. But like you get sometimes with Formula One that it can be a bit Formula One moves mountains and Formula E is just a bit more understated. And I, I, I quite like that, even though it means nothing to anyone else um, <laughs> as a point. But I, yeah, I just got a, a soft spot for Formula E. Let's see, I think I'm an F1 fan more than a racing fan as both of you kind of are so as Freddie already suggested or replied to the tweet the Six Nations Championship would be up there or the championship with the mighty Preston North End in but if in (laughs) most sport Toyota Racing Series actually it's quite a nice niche one start of the year to New Zealand so Mm. it's nice weather and nice backgrounds and it's had quite a few high profile drivers go through you always get a mix as well you kind of you get a like Sonoda took part last year, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you had Tijman van der Helm, who I'll probably pronounce wrong, who was 16 and could only or turned 16 halfway through, so he could only start racing like in the last two rounds and then he won a race. So you do you get quite a interesting mix of different drivers from different series or different kind of levels of the motorsport ladder, but it kind of evens itself out, and it's quite good to see that. And kind Can of you watch that, Adam, in the UK. 
Uh, I've followed it. Not I've got it on motorsport TV starting in a week. Oh, I've oh, wow. Yeah. Um, um, but interestingly, Adam, uh, you you started that by saying you're more of an F1 fan than a racing fan, and you've given the most niche, nerdiest answer of all of us. <laughs> yeah, well, what can I say? But yeah, I mean, it's F1 related in a way that kind of rallycross and Formula yeah. E are less. So, I mean, the others, Italian F4 has always got, you know, it's kind of the premier F4, would you say? It's kind of you know, got a lot going on and a few of the kind of just below F3, like Formula Renault Euro Cup and Formula Regional. I think those also, especially Euro Cup had quite a few big names in this year. Yeah, because so, they couldn't get out to Super Formula. You had Vips, didn't you? And um, Chadwick, Chadwick, did you have Chadwick in it? Yeah, you had Chadwick and... I think was it uh, Euro Arthur Leclerc? Yeah, no, that was it. That was it. Arthur Leclerc mm. and Petakov had a good little battle. Gianluca Petakov, I think. I might have referenced the one cha- the wrong championship. I've but... got, I've got a question for you, Adam. Does motors- is motorsport like second or third behind rugby then for you in terms of sports? Uh, probably second because I follow it. Yeah. So it's I follow it more than football because I write about it and report on it whereas yeah. football I kind of follow Preston and England but not so much elsewhere and rugby I'm kind of a bit more dialed into kind of everything that's happening so what's happening in the southern hemisphere and the internationals and the you know Gaelic yeah. league or whatever instead of just being into F1 yeah so yeah second mm-hmm. I'd say well yeah well for me I love winter sports as well which is perfect because it happens from December to March so it's right you know, in the window of between the F1 season or the motorsport season, which is March to November, December. Uh, so, yeah, that's something I love as well as motorsport. But, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's my turn to ask a question. So that's, why, that's why there was a pause there. So no, no, really awkward for half a second there. Uh, well, I don't have anything I'm, to add on rugby. So. <laughs> uh one of my mates, Oliver Johnson, has asked, "What is the best racing video game?" Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Now you two play more video games than me, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I I kind of play them less as kind of personal development or with the aim of getting better. So much for me, it's just kind of about enjoyment. Um, but yeah, I mean, the two I do is the F1. So I've got 2018 and 2020 and Project Cars 2, and I do quite like playing with Freddie and Will, who came up in the previous question, so he's got two mentions in this podcast. Um, kind of Lucky just, guy. I'm not very good, so we just, on the Project Cars, we just do Daytona Roval in various cars, and I enjoy that. So, Does Rocket League count? Yes, Rocket League definitely <laughs> counts. Cars, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that. That's a class game, Rocket League. I only played it once. Yeah. It's like combining football and motors and car racing, perfect, great game. Yeah, yeah Top Gear thought of it ten years before. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to say Rocket League. Uh, I'm in the same. I'm in the same rock and hard place as Adam. I think when I'm playing on my own, it's F1, um, F1 yeah. game 2020. The career mode with that is really good. I really enjoy the new my team function they've had this year, where you can sign your own, sign a teammate and stuff like that. But when it's playing with mates it will be project cars too because of what adam said we go on to an oval we just basically don't really tune the cars we get a random car we've been doing um 
1969 Chevrolet Camaro vintage NASCAR <laughs> that are just completely bonkers. And you just sit there and you don't know what you're doing. You're flat out for the whole 10 minutes that the race is and you're always side by side. And I think with all the games, you can make them enjoyable for yourself, really. Like with Project Cars, yeah. you can go on that on your own. Our GT Sport, you can go on there on your own and drive the cars. And that's really fun. But for the actual racing, if you're for racing against mates, because you've got the opportunity, um, at least for us, for Project Cars 2, you can just go onto an oval and just bomb around a bit and have some... I think what well, the race finish we had yesterday was within a thousandth of a second. So, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's common. It's rare for it to be over a tenth, the race finish. Yeah. So... For for us, I think if you can, if I recommend, if people have got mates and you play Project Cars too, do that. It's amazing fun. It's also quite cheap, especially now. There's another one come out. It's like kind of, I think, like seven or fifteen pounds. I can't remember which, but I recommend it. You know, it's good value, and apparently a third one comes out and isn't very good. But yeah, yeah the issue with that is Project Cars Three is really bad, so everyone's still buying <laughs> Project Cars Two. Yeah, but, but I would recommend play- it. I used to play a lot of Forza Motorsport, like Forza Motorsport 4 and 5 and mm. stuff. That was ages ago, though. But, uh, Forza, has the, um, Forza probably has the the um, the top spot when it comes to variety of cars. Yeah, in the Horizon game. and stuff. Oh, sorry, yeah. Motorsport, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, And Forza's of... easier to mod than... You can't mod a PlayStation game, for instance, but Forza, you can <laughs> do a bit more, too. Um, you can actually down upload and download liveries and stuff. I think, um, at least the motorsport yeah, causes, that's right. um, yeah. which is quite cool. And you can get like a Lotus F1 car and stuff like that, which, like a modern one, which is quite funky. I I, I enjoyed watching videos on that, but I, I'm, I've always had a PlayStation, so I've never wanted to get an Xbox, which I think is a good decision. Um, <laughs> risk of starting that debate with Nigel. Going to move on to our fourth question which is from Amy, who has asked, how well will Daniel Ricciardo do in 2021? And I will mention this because Adam brought it up before the podcast, so he's actually forgotten he's gone to McLaren. I had as well. I was just thinking about, oh, it depends how well Renault do this year. I completely forgot. As <laughs> Alpine. Alpine. Yeah, Alpine, goodness sake. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get this first race underway to figure out what to say. But anyway, um, Nigel, save us by telling us how Daniel Ricciardo is going to do in 2021. I think with the Mercedes engine in the back of the McLaren, I think they should be strong. I think he'll he'll do better in terms of position in the championship compared to last year. I would Ooh, say interesting. to expect a few podiums, a bit like how McLaren got a couple of podiums last year, but they're not going to be anywhere near Red Bull and Mercedes. I think those will be the top two, as we'll talk about later. But I think... With Ricardo, for me, he's one of the top five drivers on the grid, and he's probably in the, in the peak of his career. So, you know, I, I think he is going to have another strong season. I would expect, and I, I think he will beat Lando Norris as well. So, I think he's going to be in for a good year, couple podiums. It all just depends on the car, really, with the new with the floor changes and stuff. But the Mercedes engine should help McLaren. I would think. I I think. He might have a better year, but it won't look a better year because I think Red Bull having that stronger second driver, yeah. that will take away opportunities for all of the midfield teams Good to get point. on that podium, get their moment in the sun. 
So he might end up with less points than last year. He, I imagine he'll end up with less podiums than last year. But I think, you know, he, he will come and he should do well against Norris. I think he'll, I think it'll be close. Um, but I just think he'll have less bad races than Norris. Um, and that'll be what will seal it. And, you know, it'll put him and the team in a good position going forward into 2022. And I just think having Norris and him in the same team will be very good as well. I'm looking forward to that off track as much as on track. I can't see him being beaten by Lando over the season. I can see him having a few races where he's where Lando is the lead car and he had that with Science as well. Even though Science obviously had a had a handle at some points, Norris was able like just to perform at, at a really high level as well. So I think it's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, Ricardo can come into a team with differences to what he to what he's driven before from Rebel to Renault and still beat the driver, beat the incumbent there in what he did to Hulkenberg. I think by the time they got to like Canada or something, it was 6-1 in qualifying to Ricardo anyway. So it doesn't really matter how soon Ricardo gets onto the car. I reckon he would still be on the pace with Norris at the start of the season, even with a day and a half in the car of testing per driver with three days of testing this year. I think I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to basically just echo what Adam said, that the competition is probably going to be tougher at the higher end of the field. And it's probably going to be quite hard to equal fifth in the championship, but I wouldn't be surprised if Daniel does. And Oh, he was fifth last year. He was fifth in the championship. Oh, so when you said he was better his championship position <laughs> and you thought he was going to, I don't know, is he going to win it? Um, so Nigel said that Ricardo's going to he, win the championship. Gonna, Nigel said he's going to outperform either one of the Red Bull or one of the Mercedes drivers. Um, I don't think he will do that. I think the, the only thing I would add is if, if he doesn't go off to the best start and he's kind of behind Renault and Alonso, Alpine and Alonso, um, in the early part of the season, I think it will be interesting to see how that goes because mm. you know that will kind of play on him a bit like it did when you know he joined Renault and they weren't performing, you know, at least to start with. So I think that will be something to follow in an interesting storyline. But you know, I think he will, you know, regardless of the car, he will still maximize it. I think he will be an upgrade on science and I think he will most likely outperform Norris as well. I'd be quite excited to see by how well I am how much he outperforms Norris, whether it is really close and whether it's been what it's been with Science, where Norris has been the qualifying battle has gone down to the final race, that kind of thing. I think that would be quite interesting if it's similar with um Ricardo and Norris, because if it's a complete whitewash, that says a lot about Ricardo in what we've seen with him against Ocon. Obviously, that's a caveat with Ocon having a year out and so on. So we've got a at his best form ever driver in Ricardo going to probably the best form we've ever seen of Norris going head to head. So I think that's really, that's going to be where a lot of eyes will be drawn in Bahrain immediately. Mm. I think moving on a good segue from that is Charlie Louise's question, which is top three constructors championship predictions for 2021. And we've all, I think just said, we think Rebel and Mercedes are going to be um, the top two. So it is all about that third spot is it going to be Aston Martin kicking on I don't think so uh, or is it going to be McLaren or Alpine which one of Ricardo's or team Ferrari yeah well see that's interesting oh, yeah. do, do you think be. there's a case for Ferrari I, I think, think there's there a case, a case for Ferrari to be uh, about fourth or fifth 
and to be in the fight for third. But I don't think they'll quite get it because obviously they're not quite as slick as the midfield teams at being in the midfield. I think they've got the best driver lineup out of those. I think they've got the best driver lineup on the grid. Ooh, personally. Ooh. Nah, that's my mm-hmm. opinion. I think Mercedes <laughs> the best, and probably Red Bull. Is no, the no, Mercedes fourth. Red Bull is good. I think. I think, I think, I think they're all they're all three very good driver lineups. Hamilton's the best driver on the grid, and well, we've not answered the question here. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get into <laughs> no, this. No, but it's today. interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think Hamilton's the best driver on the grid, and Bottas is the best number two driver on the grid. So for me, they have their best. But Nigel, who will be third in the constructors' championship? Um, so I'm going to go for McLaren. I think. I think McLaren will. It'll be close, but I think McLaren will edge it. I'm going to say Alpine to be different because I was thinking McLaren, but I think Alonso's really good. I I think I'm going to go Dickinson. McLaren just because they've kind of got the most... Alonso and Ocon is, you know, as, as much as it's got a lot of potential, it is still quite an untested driver pairing in that, you know, you've got Ocon who was, you know, clearly a you know, distance behind Ricardo, and you know, compared to Norris, I think he's a decent step back, or I think Norris is a decent step forward in terms of teammates. And then you've got Alonso, who you know, I think we all expect to perform, but we don't know for certain. And you know, it when the cars are so close, it, you know, it sounds an obvious thing to say, but the driver pairings do make a massive difference. Oh, yeah, as proved last year, yeah, with racing, racing point, point. yeah. <laughs> I think I do think Ocon has had a bit of a change of fortune since like Monza yeah. where he had his kind of um, kind of rant with his team on the radio at the end because they probably thought, oh, we should have won the race, but didn't, um, which is the same for pretty much everyone on the grid. But anyway, um, Ocon seemed to have a sort of turning point and did, particularly in qualifying, got closer to Ricardo from then on. And at the end of the season was, you know, you couldn't really actually, to be fair, they were they were alongside each other in qualifying pace at the end of the year. His race pace for Ricardo was unreal, as it always has been with his tyres and his 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 feel of the car. But Ocon is is closer on raw pace than I think a lot of people are thinking, because for half of the season he was not very good, but he's back there now. I'd say. Can either of you make the case for either Aston Martin or Ferrari? I think Ferrari will improve a lot. I think they'll probably be fourth. On my list, we'll, we'll probably you know go for a top ten a couple of weeks before the season opens. But I think Ferrari are going to improve massively, just simply because of their engine. They've got so much, you know, to go, uh, and I think the driver lineup will be strong. But uh, Aston Martin, I think my case Ferrari. for Aston Martin would be what we've said about our driver lineups. I think yeah. Stroll is sporadic at best. He's unreal and also not in so many so many ways which is such a shame for him because if he could always be unreal that would be fantastic because he got a pole position on merit and everything so yeah. that's the same for every driver though <laughs> yeah if he was always really good it would be amazing um, which brings me on to Sebastian Joe Venazzi was really good then he'd be really good the driver who crosses the line first wins the race. The difference between Joe Venazzi and Stroll is Stroll has sometimes actually been very good and if he yeah. could sustain that that's no, basically what I'm going for. And same for Vettel. It's Vettel. If Vettel can, they they really do. They're being very PR friendly with how they think they can bring back Vettel's mojo and stuff like that. 
oh, I don't have faith. I don't have faith. I want to have faith. I'm a Vettel stan. I'm a fan. I really like him. I think he's a great guy and I'm really happy he got four championships. But I don't have the faith in Vettel and Stroll as a driver lineup. Yeah, I think... I think Ferrari. But I can't make the case be, for Aston Martin. That's the. I can't make the I case think, for them. I think Ferrari could be kind of maybe the third best team by the end of the season, but I don't think. You know, I think they'd only get to that point kind of with three quarters gone or two thirds gone. I don't think you know they'll be in the battle from the start, and you know even then it is a maybe. And like you say, with Aston Martin, it's like Vettel could be good and Lance Stroll could be good you know there's not too know. long odds yeah. on that happening but I think the chances of them both coming good in a way that they can match you know Ricardo and, and Norris say is I think pretty slim I'd say I think what you say about Ferrari will really depend on development as well because mm. we've got 2022 new regulations and there's so there's so there's different wind tunnel time for the team now but they've only got so much obviously with limits on that and limits on the cost cap, obviously being introduced as of a couple of weeks ago. So it will be really interesting because I think Ferrari might actually flounder now because of the, because um, they the, the mindset of Ferrari has always been throw money at it and something will turn good. Whereas you've got the fiscal teams and of, of Aston Martin historically, McLaren recently, and to be fair, Alpine as well have been running at a budget of, um, the budget cap so those are the teams you'd expect to to thrive in the next in the development phase of the um of the season but ferrari you know they're not going to stay down there for that long you know but yeah then there's no way they're going to be seventh for the next year or two years i mean the great thing is we can make a case for about five different teams to, to are going to get third and i think well you know, speaking of which good. The only other thing I'd say is Alpha Tauri, not in terms of them getting Ooh. third, but I think <laughs> they could have a, they could have quite a decent bearing on who gets it because they will take points off of the teams. They will get top five results and top ten results that will take away points from other teams. So I think where they go well and kind of how much they disrupt other teams' performances or you know where they get points, where they get into key three, I think will yeah. be quite a big thing and since we're talking about slim i don't like stan i just don't like it as a word it's good a good <laughs> eminem song but outside of that not pretty good i mean let's talk about yeah. alpha tower then uh matt jeffrey who writes for the checkered flag like me Ooh. for now uh <laughs> what he asks, what chances do you give awesome. yuki sonoda outperforming outperforming pierre gasly in 2021 uh I think you both know I rate Sonoda very highly. I think really? he's probably the most exciting driver. Well, since I thought the you like Mong. Well, no, Russell as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like Mongard. Yeah, I, I like them all. But yeah, I think Sonoda is very, very talented just because of how young he is, how quickly he's got up to speed uh, with only two years of experience in Europe, having only raced in Japan just in 2018 it was so not that long ago i think he i think he's a great talent uh will he beat gasly no i'm good i think he'll i don't i don't think he will i think he'll be he'll be close which is which is very good for a for a rookie especially someone who hasn't raced at that many tracks in europe that's but i don't think he'll outperform gasly but he'll do enough 
more than more than enough to retain his seat at Alpha Tauri for next year. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. That you know, just just because it's just because he doesn't outperform him, it doesn't mean it's been a bad year. I think oh, if yeah. he can get close to him, but also I think he could well beat him at a fair few races. Yeah, you know, I think I don't know. Maybe if we have twenty three, maybe seven or so. You know, if it was a two thirds or a three quarters split to Gasly, I think that would be probably a pretty decent year for Sonoda. You know, and as you said, if he's kind of consistently close or he gets closer, you know, kind of looking at him, you know, where he is at the start of the season versus where the where he is at the end will be quite quite an interesting one. I don't know. If if you were to rate it out of ten, what would you what would you give his chance? I'd give it about a um uh of of beating of beating Gasly, I'd give it about a five. I think it'd be fifty fifty between oh. the two of them. Because I think um I, give it I think there's a strong case for Sonoda, I think, being def- for the second half of the season being the better Alpha Tauri driver. I think coming off what what Nigel said about him his meteoric rise through through the ranks and stuff like that. And you look at his development in series he's been in such as F three and F two. He started fast and has only got faster. And I think the second half of the season for Sonoda is really going. I think I think he's going to fly in the second half of the season and take Gasly a bit by surprise. I think he'll start Rebel off. Gives you wings. Rebel gives you wings. He'll start off a bit. You know, I start off good, but I think he'll be kind of mega at some point. Oh, I'd say three out of ten, three or four out of ten chance. Nigel, put a figure. I'm going to give it a four out of ten. Ready? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, one below you. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to an, another question. Uh, Jordan asks, how much of a threat will Sergio Perez be to Max Verstappen? Will, the, will a second competitive driver allow Red Bull to win more races by reducing Mercedes' strategy options? I think that's a very good question. Mm. What do you guys think? If, so they what won two out of seventeen last year. So if there's a yeah. twenty-three race season, you're looking at three to kind of match that. I'd say. I I, th- I think it might it will give them more options. Hmm. I I think to be honest, I think Mercedes kind of made a few mistakes last year that I feel might not. Well, that actually none of them led to Red Bull winning. Yes, is what I'm going to go for. Because um, even if it's only in a couple of races, you know that that can be a difference. You know, having said that, they Red Bull still have to bring a car that's you know able to keep pace or you know hang on to the Mercedes. And then you know, even then, Max you know still has to outdrive Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas or Sergio Perez has to outdrive them. So you know, it's not a done thing, but I think it will definitely increase their chances. Mm. Yeah, you had races that we, we spoke about Imola earlier and obviously Max was able to hang on to the coattails of the Mercedes at that race, but obviously Albon wasn't. He was way down in the midfield. And if Perez is going to be able to hang on as well, that then prevents Hamilton being able to go long with as much effect like he did to win in Imola, that kind of thing. So I think oh, it's a really hard one. I think at some races, Perez will be really good. And I think at some, he'll be a, there'll be a bigger gap than people will expect between... Mm. Verstappen, I think there'll be some because Verstappen, I think, is just unreal. I think there's, I think it's going to be difficult to call. I will say, 
half and half that Perez is obviously going to have a better season than Albon, I think. Um, and I think he is going to be a thorn in the Mercedes side. He's going to prove that at points. But I think not as much as what people are expecting on the Perez hype train. Mm. I think, for me, the first part of Jordan's question, how much of a threat will Perez be to Max? I don't really... I don't see him kind of threatening Max's position much, you know. And I, I guess it also depends kind of how, I guess, A, how much his contract says and B, you know, how much he's willing to kind of be the, the number two driver and kind of, you know, if put his, um, even if he thinks he's in a position for a race win or, you know, a, a very good finish, kind of how much he's willing to put that aside for Max. But I think the other aspect of how it will improve their performance is it will give them a benchmark to Verstappen to compare himself against and, you know, uh, basically double the amount of development data they'll get on the car or, you know, increase it by a decent amount, you know, nothing. I think that will be kind of as, as important as kind of what happens, you know, within the races themselves. I think for me, the Red Bull driver lineup was a massive problem and has been for the last two years. Now with Perez at the team, it's no longer a problem. Now it's just all about the car. They've got the driver. They've got, you know, one of the best drivers on the on the grid. On the grid, arguably their best. And now they've not got. Now they have got another brilliant one in, in Sergio Perez. Lots of experience in the team that he can bring as well. Perez's biggest weakness for me is probably qualifying. His one lap pace. We saw this against Esteban Ocon. But as long as he's fourth on the grid and is fourth after the first lap, if not better, he will be a threat to Verstappen, I think, because, because okay. of his pay, because of his race pace and his tire management. Uh he'll definitely be within the pit window of the Mercedes, whoever's the lead Mercedes, which it is, which will be a massive help for Red Bull. That's where the game changes. We saw it with uh, when Ricardo was uh, Verstappen's teammate then, and I think it will be more uh, more towards that kind of dynamic, which would be great for the races because it should make it a lot more interesting. So, you know, he'll probably still be what, 100 points behind by the end of the season, behind Verstappen, but I think he will be enough of a threat to get Red Bull more wins, providing that the car is to... uh, providing that the gap is similar to last year, if not a bit closer, hopefully. Do you guys think he'll stay at Red Bull for 2022? I would think so, yeah. Unless Sonoda is, turns out to be a superstar, which I think, which was the point I was going to make before, which I think is a possibility. I think, actually, Freddie, what do you think first? I <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Nigel's right. It really depends on the Alpha Tauri drivers performing. And if they're performing at a similar good rate to each other, Gasly and Sonoda, then I think, and Perez is obviously doing a good job as well, then I think keeping it as is for another season, keeping a little bit of Calm in the calm in their minds is just going to be easier for them, and I think I think I think I think it's more likely that Perez will stay for 2022 than leave Red Bull. I think it depends on Perez's performance because Valtteri Bottas may well become available in 2022. And Ooh, similar having, drivers to me, though. Well, we'll see if I. But you know, I think. I've, I've kind of been calling it for a while now, so I, you know, I don't want to back so, out now. But 
But is that? <laughs> go on, no, go on. Finish, finish for, for, a num- for a number two position, I think he's the best number two on the grid. I think he's at a level of Barrichello in terms of you know f- filling out that role. And if Mercedes want to bring in Russell alongside Hamilton, which you know I, I think I think after Sakir Bottas' position is very under threat. And if he if he were to leave, his best option would be Red Bull. If Perez isn't, you know, performing to the level that they expect from him or, you know, need from him, you know, he'd be an upgrade on that, I think. And yeah, so I think it'd suit both parties and it gives Sonoda another season to develop. Or as you say, if Sonoda does very well, then, you know, it's his seat for the taking. I'd put the Red Bull driver line up ahead of the Mercedes driver line up for me. So uh, I'd put Perez ahead of Bottas even. So, yeah. By by the time the Eastern Mark, they're doing the same like level, but so yeah, there's probably not too much difference. But I think yeah, we will find out who has got the best number two driver. That's yeah, cool. yeah, it's, it, it's, it is a case of seeing this benchmark for Verstappen, seeing a, a driver who has been proven for ten years in Formula One alongside Verstappen in Verstappen's stable, not a driver who we've only seen as a rebel mm. driver. So I think. That's what's going to be interesting. I think the the rumor of Bottas, I think that Adam is so willing to to push, um, could probably become a big one, depending on what happens in July and August. Um, well, I've already tweeted it, so I'm ready to retweet that when it happens. <laughs> I'm already. Have you um, tweeted the contrary just in case? As well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that would be that would be a very good fan. I don't know. Well, Maybe we I'll can talk that. about this on another episode, but I think Bottas is. Seat is already under threat even before the season just got going, but we can talk. Oh, about I think I think this is going to be going under on in our conversations probably the next two or three months, definitely, and probably the majority yeah. of the podcast. We can probably do a whole podcast uh, now on 2022 predictions and stuff like that, even <laughs> though the 2021 grid hasn't been officially confirmed. But we don't need to go into those silly rumors. I, I, um, I think the only thing I'd I'd add on that is what you said about. Verstappen being tested, it's also a bit of a barometer for Perez because he's been mm. against Lance Stroll for the last two years, and before that, he was against Ocon, who outperformed him. So, you know, I think it, it's it's also a test for him because you know he has had the upper hand for a while and it's going into a tougher mm. situation. But leading on from that, um, talking about teams, Nicky has asked which two drivers would make up your dream team. So I don't know whether this is. Like current or ever, I guess we can. Oh, ever. Which way, <laughs> wow. ever. Which way we, which way we want, really. Um, but do any of you want to go first? Or... Do you want to do? Do you want to do a all time and a current? Oh my word! <laughs> yeah. Okay. All time. I, I, I think for the dream team that I'd most like to watch would be either Hamilton and Verstappen or Leclerc and Verstappen. Mm, um, that's interesting. Yeah. In terms of best at the kind of best one, I don't know. I think I said already. I think as a team principal, Mercedes is the dream partnership. So from that angle, I'll probably go with that. I was. Yeah. I'll probably go similar to what you said there. I think I'm going to say Leclerc and Hamilton for current drivers. Right. I think. I think that would be. I think as a dynamic, the um, yeah. the the all-time great against the the young really hungry. I think he's more hungry than Verstappen, Leclerc. 
Mm. I think that's just by just because Verstappen got a bit impatient. I think Leclerc's still got that kind of he's only been around yeah. three seasons opportunity, if that makes sense. I mean, I was trying to string together a whole trait there, but um, <laughs> I think Leclerc and Hamilton. I think Leclerc could push Hamilton. He could get under his skin in a really, really, really fun way to watch in an Alonso Hamilton way. And I think not that I want to see Hamilton rattled and lose, but I want to see a cool fight between them because I think they're both excellent. Mm, I think that would be think really, really good. Any any combination between Verstappen, Hamilton, and Leclerc for me, and you know, making a team out of them, those three drivers, even way up, would be fireworks. It would be brilliant. It's what the it's what the sport needs in a way. It will never happen, obviously, but it would just be so so entertaining. No matter if they're, if they're at the front or at the back of the grid, it would just be brilliant. I think uh, if, yeah. if, if, you know, say Leclerc and Verstappen can, you know, are in similar machinery, I think, you know, even even if they're in different teams, you know, I just think them having, going head to head. I think the thing that might tip it to that for me is that, you know, they're both at the start of their careers. So it's a feud that will last for right. 10 years or so, or could do. Well, yeah, I know Verstappen's been around. <laughs> You know, he's still a, he's still a, a fetus. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I think you know is a battle that can go on for a long time. Um, Do you have time. a historic partnership that you want to throw in? I mean, the the obvious one is Hamilton. You can still Schumacher. say Hamilton. You can still say Hamilton. Hamilton Schumacher is kind of. I just want to see. I just want to see mm. that the, what the result would be. I want to see, you know, it's it's hard, obviously, because then you go into what car are they in and whatever. But yeah, prime who's the Hamilton team principal? Versus, yeah, exactly. But prime Hamilton versus prime Schumacher, I think, would be would be a really, really. I I just like to see the result of it. I'd like to see, yeah, who who comes out on top of that. I think. That'd I be think. Good. Oh, I've just forgotten I... the current grid. Alonso Hamilton. That's what I want to see. Sorry. Yeah, I'll shut up. <laughs> mm. I want mm. to see part two, basically. Well, yeah, yeah so, I sorry, get that. Yeah, I completely no, no, don't worry. I just remembered a lot. So. <laughs> I think I'm going to just chime in on what I was going to say there with what Adam said. I think, yeah, I'll take Hamilton and Schumacher any day, I think. But I'm also, just for the interest of variety, I think <laughs> Schumacher-Prost might be quite fun. Ooh, or even yeah. Hamilton-Prost. Because I think Hamilton, so he gets compared to, to Senna and Schumacher so much, but I think he's more of a Prost-like driver where he's, mm. he's really clean and he does what he needs to do and he's just fast as hell. And I think Hamilton Prost or Schumacher Prost even, both of those two would be really, really just interesting to watch because Prost is such an enigma as a driver. I think I think Hamilton's kind of the best mix of both of them. I think, yeah. you know, he takes, takes element of both of them. A bit of a random one is Jody Schechter and Keke Rosberg. <laughs> <laughs> two, two of the kind of more underwhelming world champions kind of you know got there by more sideways world champions when they're driving got, the car got there by consistency rather than you know kind of spectacular one-off performances obviously they're both worthy in a championship is a championship mm. but i just I, it would just be a nice one if they're in like mercedes you know if they're just in a completely dominant car just to see kind of <laughs> what would happen there and i don't know i think that would be quite a quite a weird Again, quite a quite a weird one to go for. But weirdly, with Schechter and Rosberg, just on an interesting point that you said there, they both got their championships by such consistency. Rosberg won one race in 1982 when he won his championship, yeah. but they're both 
also remembered as being flamboyant as hell drivers. Schechter, when he came in, was a bit of a bit of a bad boy, a bit of a Maldonado of Formula One, and that he apparently always went for moves that people were like, "Why did you go for that move?" He's like, "Because I wanted to win and that kind of stuff." And eventually, he managed to rein that in and go for the moves in a really good way and to win a championship. And Rosberg was was just I think there's one clip I remember of Rosberg. I think it was like I think it was the Long Beach Grand Prix or something like that. USA West or whatever they call it and he's in second or in the lead and he's fighting and it's like the first lap and he just does a full 360 spin and then just carries on and keeps the position just because wow. not just because he lost the car and <laughs> saved it really well and they're just both really flamboyant but consistent at the same time I think it's really weird but interesting that's a really good suggestion Nigel we've been yeah. we've been getting in your way well Sumac Alton like you said is the obvious one but now you've mentioned flamboyancy, I'd love to see Gilles Villeneuve and Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh, those two drivers, yeah. They were just fight. Be... Yeah, good. Those two are just <laughs> absolutely full send all the time. So attacking, so aggressive. Probably two of the most aggressive drivers ever in F1, especially Montoya. He, mm. he unfortunately only had a short career in F1. I don't think we ever saw anywhere near the best but even the bits we did see you know he was the one taking yeah he was the one taking the fight to Schumacher and Ferrari when they were at the peak when they they were dominant he was like the Verstappen of the early 2000s really Mm. he was he was he was a beast in the in the Williams and the McLaren at times so yeah I'm gonna go with those two drivers Mm. I mean there's there's hundreds so many you could go for but, but yeah I think we've thrown in some interesting ones there because we could well have gone down the let's just see the, the, the really good ones. But we've, like you said, you've thrown in some really fun flamboyant flamboyant Ooh, suggestions. Lauda in the same team. I don't know whether that would have been. Well, they were really, popular. they, um, I know they, they really friends, respected so. each other. Yeah, they were mm. great friends. They probably just have a ball. They just probably just <laughs> sit around and have coffee and go out and have different evenings, then come back and have a cup of tea. That kind of <laughs> I can really what, see what, that from what sort of different mind. evenings would they have? Freddie, I don't really mm. understand. Well, Hunt would have an explicit evening that I can't mention, <laughs> and Lauda would go and um, swear at something and then make it better. Um, but um, talking about controversy, we're going to move on to a question from Mo Remen, who is someone who Adam and I work with at lastlap.co.uk. You can check out his WEC writing. Um, he has asked us, a question we have been dreading because we can't really think of much about it, which is, inter- which is interesting. Um, do any of you have a favourite controversial moment of the 2020 F1 season? If so, what were they and why? Yes, me and Nigel both ju- cut in front of Freddie in the queue just so we didn't have to ask this question. Um, <laughs> well, I'd, I, I think it's a weird one because in many ways it wasn't a controversial season or there's kind of not moments that stick out Stand I think out. Yeah. yeah I think for me the whole thing about Vettel kind of leaving Ferrari and just you know going and that was it them not kind of making any offer for him to stay and then him going and taking the seat at Aston Martin from Perez who you know uh, probably should be staying although he's got a better deal as as it is but kind of that whole dynamic <laughs> of um, you know Vettel Vettel coming in Perez probably should say instead of Lance, but obviously not because of the family ties. So I think that was in an uncontroversial year. That was probably my pick. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm going to have to go for the Racing Point break ducks scandal, which I still think was not a harsh enough penalty. 15 constructors' points is it's just not right. It's not fair. It's illegal. They used illegal... Well, they, didn't, they weren't illegal themselves. But the way they were designed and manufactured was not fair, and I think they got away with it. And well, In fact, the whole pink Panther itself, the whole pink racing point itself, the pink Mercedes, I think that in itself is kind of controversial the mm. way it's been the way it's been designed and uh in a in a way I was kind of glad that, that McLaren beat them to the best of the rest place for third in the constructors. So yeah I'm gonna go with racing point for me. Yeah I think I'm gonna go with Ferrari Gate which is um referring to all of the the impact of the twenty nineteen season on the twenty twenty Ferrari season which was the um, issues with the way they were burning fuel and oil in their engine, which was ruled out for some reason by the FIA. And we still don't know, we probably never know why that's happened, what the agreement between the FIA and Ferrari is. And the fact that it was announced 10 minutes before the, the flag on the final day of testing uh, this season made it really kind of controversial for me in that it just made people kind of think okay what are they trying to cover up what are they trying to hide what are they saying and then it got to australia and people were still talking about it and obviously it was overturned by more important topics but then it got to austria and we didn't know it'd been six months or so and we didn't know ferrari's pace we didn't know that ferrari were going to be woeful this year we didn't know they'd finish sixth in the constructors people were like no racing point can they take the challenge of ferrari no i don't quite know definitely not and then straight out the bat Ferrari just aren't fast and they've got a horrible car to drive. And I think for me, that's a really interesting storyline. I think I would, um, uh, there's a personal moment to it. And I was actually in the paddock at the final moment when it was announced and there was a bit of a buzz there and it kind of felt a bit intense to see that buzz as well. And that's a, a little bit of a humble brag, but um, it's not even humble. It's the just a brag. A humble brag. Yeah, it's a <laughs> lot of brag. <laughs> But yeah, I think for me that's one of the one of the controversial moments of the season that is still rule um still yeah. occurring to this day. Yeah, and I think kind of we saw that encapsulated in Spa where last year Leclerc had won and it was just watching him getting overtaken by everyone yeah. down the Kemmel Strait and it it was just car after car after car. And a lot of races, you know, Ferrari wouldn't even be necessarily the top two Ferrari finishers it was kind of that level of not good um yeah i think the other if we're going to do a trio of racing point ones the other one i'd throw in is um lance stroll getting covid and kind of how how hushed up it was Ooh. yeah I'd, yeah it wasn't comfortable that left that. a very bad taste yeah in the mouth it wasn't comfortable so i think they, we're going pure controversial probably, probably been right. the most controversial team this year racing point they've not oh, definitely to many people They've definitely taken a new stance from favourite underdog they were <laughs> a couple of years ago as Force India to now just being, you know, kind of the bad boys. They went all yeah. out because they knew disaster Martin Brandon was coming, which would change, whichever, which would make, make everyone forget. happy again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> essentially. Oh, it's green. Hooray. <laughs> oh, uh, we've got one last question then, I think, which is from... Henry Clark, who says maybe it's a bit of a push, but for someone who doesn't follow F1 as religiously as us, well, not Adam, 
joking. Uh, how about you each have a minute to sum up or preview how things are looking ahead, how things are looking for the new season and people right, Nigel, you can to go watch. First. I can oh, thanks for that. For the Six Nations, if you want, if you'd rather have that. <laughs> you'd rather follow it on religiously enough. Uh, so yeah, we literally get a minute to say stuff. Oh, well, okay, we've started. <laughs> so we've got lots of driver movements, including, I don't know the driver movements. We've got Perez to Red Bull. We've got Ricardo to McLaren, Alonso to Renault. Yuki Sonoda has joined the grid as one of three rookies who are joining the F1 grid for 2021. The other two include F2 champion Mick Schumacher and very controversial Nikita Mazepin. They're both at Haas, mm. so it's a rookie lineup for them, so it'll be interesting to see how they go. Williams have retained George Russell and Nicholas Latifi, so no changes there. Sebastian Vettel has joined Aston Martin. Carlos Sainz has joined Ferrari. And McLaren now have a Mercedes engine. So those are the driver and team changes. There's also been some team principal changes, but you probably don't care about that. And we've got a calendar, but we don't know how many races there's going to be and what races are actually going to happen because of COVID and the pandemic, which is still going on at the moment. And I think this minute is coming to an end right now. It has, yeah. That was perfect time. Wow. I've done it for a bit longer than I thought it would. I'm actually a bit intimidated by how long a minute is now. And you're not allowed repetition, uh, hesitation, or deviation. Or <laughs> I don't think I breathed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm ready? a little bit nervous for this. Okay, yeah, you are going first. Okay. Oh, I can Three, go if you, you want to go. You're two, welcome to. One. Go. Formula One is entering its 2021 season and we have got tons to look forward to. You've got Alonso coming back, a two-time world champion. He should be a seven-time world champion if you look at some different races. Um, he is going to be heading the new Alpine team, which means he's going to have some really, really fancy company cars for one of the teams because I like an Alpine. Um, we have got Ricardo McLaren, as Nigel mentioned. He's going to be taking on the youth superstar Lando Norris, who one in Formula 4, one in Formula 3, came second in Formula 2 and is yet to win in Formula 1. Will he beat Daniel Ricciardo to that McLaren crown? We don't know. We have a lot coming ahead in terms of budgety finance stuff, which is not exciting, but is exciting because it sets us up for the future of Formula 1, which means that this development race is going to be incredibly exciting. Who is going to actually get on top of the new financial regulations? Is it going to be the teams that have spent 400 million no, it will probably be the teams that have only spent one million. So, hooray! Sorry. There you go. Well timed. Seven-time world do. champion, Alonso. No. What if like seven? about forty races have gone differently. And then, yeah, and then probably. He's more only like, what about seven races? 2012 or 2010. <laughs> 2007. That's five. Oh, yeah. If you joined Mercedes, he would have won the last seven world yeah. champions. He would have been Lewis Hamilton. Nine-time world champion, Fernando Alonso. <laughs> One second, I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a bit of a stretch. But anyway, I did my best um, local radio voice. Do you want me to do a timer for you, Adam? Uh, if you want. Well, it's well, started. Yeah, right, Adam, you've got lots of technical regulations, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. Three, <laughs> two, one. Go. I'm not going to talk about any technical regulations, um, but I think what will be what will be similar is Mercedes and Red Bull. Mercedes will be out front. Red Bull will be in the second best team. Verstappen will be kind of around second or third best driver. Uh, and then, yeah, you might have a few less random podiums because I think Perez will sweep a, a few of those. 
of the similarities is probably going to be the same midfield battle as we've already discussed. But there are drivers in new teams. How will they bed down? We don't know. Will it, you know, how will it affect their careers? Because these things can, you know, ruin or make careers how drivers do when they go into a new team. And it's not a given that just because you're a good driver in one team, you will be a good driver in the other. Has will they make it to the end of the season? Do we want them to make it to the end, to the end of the season? I don't know. Um, and how will the rookies do? Who will be the top rookie? Nigel's, I think, Vax Sonoda. How will Mick Schumacher do? The son of a seven-time world champion comes into the grid. I think he'll be the one to watch. And having a big season rather than a small season like last time. Ding, ding, ding. I think I did 59 seconds there, but, you know. You did a very good stall at the beginning by saying you weren't going to talk about technical regulations. It took you about five seconds. I mean, there's only like two changes that you need to know about, uh, which is new tyres and some floor changes. And that might hurt Mercedes, which might bring Red Bull closer, hopefully. And there might be a championship fight. But we say that every single year and there hasn't been one the last eight years. <laughs> I think the, the time I gained by saying I'm not going to talk about te- technical regulations, I then kind of made about twice that for myself by talking quickly so <laughs> if it had been a wider strategy then I wouldn't have gone to that angle but uh, yeah. yeah it's a very I interesting felt- question and it's interesting to kind of think about that and sum up and I think the, the main thing I would say is you know watch kind of what watch the battle if there is a battle for the lead watch it over the whole race and kind of not lap by lap necessarily. And also look down the grid, I guess, you know, look around who's getting that 10th place, you know, who gets into Q2 and Q3, and, you know, again, who's kind of leading the midfield battle. Yeah, and I think Alonso's, for me, the Alonso's return is probably the thing I'm most excited about because we saw Michael Schumacher returned uh, after he retired from Ferrari, then joined Mercedes after four years out from the sport. He wasn't nowhere near as good as he used mm. to be. I think he was still not bad, but he wasn't great. So it'll be that really is. interesting to see how Alonso goes and whether he is still one of the fastest and best drivers. Because when he left the sport, I certainly think you know he was probably just behind Hamilton. So whether he's still there right now, we'll have to see. But I, I hope he is, you know, for his sake and, and for Alpine's sake as well. Yeah, I think yeah, touching what Adam said them. about looking at the whole race is that one of the beauty, the beautiful things about Formula One is that you can look at it from a lap by lap, just glance at it perspective and see the race and know what happens. But you can also, you can watch it deeper. And the more you know about it and the more you look into the race, the more interesting the race gets. That's why you're listening to this podcast. It. Yeah, we're not, we're, we're, if right. someone who's at this point of the podcast listening to me say this, doesn't know that much about Formula One, then there's probably something wrong. But um, with our, with um with who who we're getting I'm to listen to, it, but anyway, don't say anything you shouldn't yeah. say, Nigel. You do that too much. <laughs> um, but yeah, Formula One, it is it's it's going to be back eventually. We've obviously got still got our break, but we've got a few more podcasts coming up. Nigel's obviously alluded to the fact that we can do a whole episode on everything we've spoken about, so we probably will do a whole episode on quite a few things. Um, have we done that this episode? Well, we might in this do. Episode, like... We've spoken about everything we've spoken oh, about God. in this episode. <laughs> we're going to repeat this episode word for word next so week. We'll see you in March. Um... <laughs> we're going to do a, a whole episode just repeating the topics of this episode, or I don't. Well, know. maybe a whole episode talking about <laughs> Valtteri Bottas is the best number two driver, or a whole episode on um, why Alonso is a seven-time world champion. Um, 
If you want to see us talk about anything, please let us know. There we go. No one's going to let us know anything. Yeah, no one's going to let us know. Unless you yeah. ask All your right. friends to tweet. No. <laughs> yeah, let's get uh, friends to tweet us about things. It's easy. Yeah. Um, all right. So thanks very much, everyone, for watching or listening to this podcast. We've had an absolute ball doing it. And thanks to everyone who sent in a question. We have answered every question we got. And we hope you enjoyed the answer and that we pronounced your name correctly. So we would like to wish you a happy rest of January. There's nothing happening. It's just January. It's not Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas. Have a good time. <gasps> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>